Welcome to the Inrooted Podcast, where we believe it's our biblical duty to work the land and that scripture provides wisdom for our everyday walk in life. This is your podcast where faith intertwines inspiration, new perspectives, and practical tips for your forest management and land ownership journey. Let's get started. Welcome back. I am so excited to talk to you this week. So my question for you is, have you let your New Year's resolutions drop off already? It is almost the end of January and I know, I know me, and I have a tendency that if I'm not going to follow through, I've probably already let this fall. Now, for example, my resolutions, well, I don't really like to call them resolutions, but new goals. I always try to set some new goals that I want to execute this year. And one of those goals was to eat healthier. I wanted to prep and plan my meals. Now, not the traditional prepping. I didn't want to, you know, get everything together on Sunday and spend hours and kind of prep it all through the week in different containers. I knew that would be way too much for me to handle at one time. But essentially, I just kind of had a list and I wanted to plan out whatever my dinners were going to be for the week to make it so much easier. And I did really good for the first two weeks. And the whole idea around this too was that it was going to force me to use more of the meat in our freezer. But week three came, a lot of changes in just our schedule and situations and where we were going out and about. And I did not do any of the meal planning, prep, follow through. I kind of wrote things down, but I didn't follow through on a single one of them. So now I'm essentially starting over and I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to keep on trying. I'm not letting this fall by the wayside quite yet because I really think that kind of preparing and planning these meals will make things so much easier for me. And it's going to make things so much easier for my kids, just our work-life balance, family situation. It's going to help take off that stress load. And so why am I doing these meal planning preps? Just so I can be healthy and yay and it's supposed to help with everything. No, not necessarily. It's really to bring my contentment down, to actually utilize things we have, stop being so wasteful, really help with our finances by only buying what we actually need, not just wasting money when we have plenty of food in the freezer. Let's actually use what we have. All right. And essentially too, I am looking to get more involvement and engage with my kids by cooking at home a little bit more often and using them to help me in in the dinner. Now, that's not exactly something I'm trying to do right away, but that's kind of the long-term goal of what I'm going towards. If I can do this consistently enough, then I will be able to start bringing them in to help with dinner without all the stress load. They want to help with dinner, but by the time I'm trying to figure out what to make and you know it's four or five o'clock, six o'clock in the evening, I'm a little overwhelmed. I don't actually want help. I just want to get food on the table and done. And so this meal planning is to help me reach that overall goal to be more involved with them, more patient, and let them actually participate in these household duties that I think is really, really important. Why am I going into this long spiel about meal planning and my own new year resolution? Well, because we should have our own goals and resolutions when it comes to our land ownership and management. Now, my question for you is, did you set any goals when it comes to your land? I know I talked about goals and goal setting in the very first 2024 YouTube podcast episode. And now we are on the fourth one for this year. And I wanna know, 
Did you actually set any goals? Did you set down and write anything down? If you participated in my three-day masterclass, that was the very first day. Actually, it was the very second day was kind of writing down our whole whys and purpose and creating this vision statement. The very first day was understanding exactly what we have and the what's. But for each day, and by day three when we got to plans, there was a whole point of writing things down to help us follow through, to creating this, this deep ingrained vision and purpose of why we are doing things to help us, again, follow through on things that we want to do, on activities that we know are wise and beneficial that need to get done. So, did you do or have you done any of the goal setting when it comes to your land? Now, I'm going to be bringing this down a little bit more technical to some forester talk. You have your goals that you have with your land ownership, your management, maybe you just want to get more engaged, involved, maybe there are a few operations you actually wanted to execute this year. And I'm going to ask you this question. Do you know what your objectives are for your land? When you're working with a forester, anytime, first time, new year, whatever it is, they should be consistently making sure they understand your objectives. Now you may be saying, what is an objective? Isn't that just the goal? My goal is to have a healthy forest. My goal is to create profit for retirement. Kind of, sort of. Objectives essentially are how foresters write the best management recommendations and advice and prescriptions for you and your land to execute and understand the priorities. So they need to understand what your why and your goals are, something we talk deeply about in day two of the free masterclass that you can check out inside my academy program now. But the objective is how you're going to communicate those priorities. There are actually five different objectives every forester will take into consideration pretty much across the board. So you are hitting each of these objectives every single time you get a management recommendation or advice from a forester biologist, but there is a priority system here. You have your timber, your wildlife, aesthetics, recreation, and soil and water conservation. So all of these components are really, really important. And when I say that, I mean, you want to do all of them. You want to make sure you're conserving your soil because otherwise you're not gonna be able to grow anything next. You wanna make sure you have the clean water and that we are caring for that. We wanna make sure we're caring for our wildlife habitat and that we're doing what's right by the animals. We wanna be able to enjoy our land for recreational uses, whatever that may be, from kayaking to fishing to camping to bird watching. We want to make sure we're doing what's right for the trees. You do what's right for the trees, you're able to kind of manage everything else out there. And the timber tends to be the biggest bang for our buck when it comes to financial returns. So you, usually you want to make sure you're maximizing to some degree your profit opportunities when it comes to your timber. And then there's the aesthetics, which is kind of the lesser talked about objective and maybe less admitted objective for many folks who might be saying, oh, I don't actually care what it looks like, but you do care. You do care. You may not want to admit you care what it looks like, but you do care. And on the flip side, maybe you do have a very visual expectation and goal that you're trying to create out on your property. So you have these five different objectives and you may be trying to decide, well, how do I prioritize? Can I do them all at once? What is the right way to go about this? Now, there are some chicks to the trade Necess uh, per se when it comes to prioritizing. I know what my recommendations are always going to be, but I wanted to look quickly and see what the biblical recommendations for prioritizing objectives is. Because if we are working to be more stewards of the land, to be better stewards of the land, we should look and see 
what God prioritizes as his objectives. And it comes down to four words when I read in Genesis, back in the beginning, during creation. And it was good. He actually says this four different times in Genesis. And I'm going to read them to you real quick, just so you can have this understanding. In Genesis 1.12, he's already created light and darkness. He's already created the waters and the separation of the waters. He's starting to separate the waters from the land base at this point. He's allowing vegetation to grow on the land. And in verse 12, it says, The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in, in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. Now let's jump over to 118. Because remember, I said there was four times he said this. Okay? So he created plants, vegetation, trees. He said that those were good. What does he say is good in verse 18? He's going through and he's creating the stars and the sun and the moon. And in verse 18, he says, To govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And in this, he's talking about literally placing the stars and the sun and the moon to dictate time, which I thought was amazing, as well as serve as signs to help with navigation and direction. God saw that it was good. Now let's jump to 125 when he says it again. And this is when he starts creating all the creatures on the, on the land base. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw it was good. He's created all the animals now, and he saw that it was good. Now 131, he had created mankind at this point. He's created fish, he's created all the vegetations, we got all the stars, we pretty much have everything out there. And in verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. At this point, he's pretty much made everything. And he said, it was good. Now, why am I bringing this up? Why does it matter? Like, he didn't actually prioritize anything, Danielle. Why, why are you ranking this? You didn't actually answer your question of what does God think is biblically right to prioritize four objectives? What should we do? Well, I bring this about because... He thinks it's all good. Not that he doesn't care what we do. He cares what we do with the land. But I read all these different things that all these different priorities are good because he has created them all. So no matter how you decide to necessarily manage the land for these different priorities, it is good. He views it as good. Now I'm going to go into a little bit more depth because I know you probably want a little bit more answers than him saying it was good. That doesn't help me make my decisions, okay? So I actually found some scriptures that my free masterclass Landowner Foundations folks have already received this free guide. I'm going to be sharing it with the public very, very soon. It's not available quite yet, but in that guide, I actually go through and I share some scriptures that emphasize all these different objectives. And the whole point of that being to show that there is scriptural evidence for each of these objectives. And therefore, it doesn't necessarily matter how you prioritize it because they're all important. They all have a foundation in scripture. One is not necessarily better than the other, but you do need to pick, okay? So I'm going to share some of these scriptures with you to kind of show a little bit more background of how it is biblically viewed for these different objectives for the land base. 
We're gonna start with timber, because timber is my favorite, of course. And timber also tends to be the number one objective for most landowners. Now, this is also because having a timber priority, a true timber priority for investments, for management, gives you the civil cultural exemption, which is very, very important for all forestry operations, which means we don't have to go through any permitting process because we are working within a civil cultural exemption to manage and maximize our timber income, timber products, whatever it may be, we are focused on timber. So that's one reason why timber income or timber objective tends to be the number one priority across most landowners. But what does scripture say about it? In Genesis 8:22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Genesis 8:22. I love this verse too, and you see it a lot in a lot of my social medias. Because to me, this kind of just re-emphasizes that as long as earth is here, there is a beginning and there is an end to absolutely everything, which we know is mentioned in Ecclesiastes, but this is essentially, you know, the, the words from the horse's mouth directly. This is God saying this directly. There is a seed time and there is a harvest. There's cold, there's heat, there's summer, there's winter, there's day and night. There's always opposites. There's always beginnings and there's always ends which to me just gives me fulfillment and understanding and comfort to know that when it is time to harvest my trees especially, it is not a destructive act. It is a reward for managing our land wisely and stewarding it the proper way as long as we are making sure that the next season coming up is the seed time season. That as long as we have these reforestation replanting plans in place, our harvest is biblical and is wise and it is expected as long as the earth remains. Now that's not it. In 2 Chronicles 2, 8 through 10, which is also another verse I use very, very commonly about wise use of wood, that using timber and using wood in our everyday life, using wood from our land base is actually a very wise principle because it says, and this is Solomon speaking, one of the wisest men ever known to have lived, the wisest kings, he says, send me also cedar, juniper, and agam logs from Le Lebanon, for I know that your servants are skilled in cutting timber there. My servants will work with yours to provide me with plenty of lumber, because the temple I must build must be large and magnificent. I will give your servants the woodsmen who cut the timber 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of olive oil. So here, Solomon is looking at the lumber. Specifically, he's looking at cedar, juniper, and algum logs from Lebanon. He wants these particular tree types to build this temple to worship and bring glory to God. He saw timber as such a wise resource. He wanted to source it directly to make one of the most magnificent temples that have ever existed. But not only that, he wanted to make sure he got skilled workers to cut the trees. He wanted to make sure they were doing it the proper way, not only to ensure that the lumber he would be receiving is appropriate for his temple, but I also like to think he wants to make sure they're cutting it the right way for the land base. And then thirdly, he pays them for that timber. He doesn't say, hey, just go bring that over to me because I'm the king and I deserve and I have authority to do what I want with that land. He pays them for the lumber. He pays them for those trees. And if Solomon, again, one of the wisest king who got his wisdom from God directly, is building this temple for God, pays for this resource, why do we feel weird when we get paid for our own timber that's being harvested and used to help with the, the fruit folds of every day of life? This, is, this, this scripture verse right here has really changed my mindset on how I look at getting paid for my timber. 
It's not a slimy, greedy, profit, selfish motive. It is a wise reward and consequence of managing such an amazing resource for God that he allows us to use this in in our everyday lives, whatever that may be. So those are just two examples. There are plenty of examples out there, but I don't want to harp on timber all day long because remember I said all the objectives have some type of biblical foundational focus justification for them. So we're going to be jumping over to wildlife real quick. We're going back to Genesis, Genesis 1:28, which is essentially what I had just kind of read, but it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And this is God talking to Adam specifically. So he gives Adam the authority to subdue the earth, to rule over every living creature that moves on the ground, as well as rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky. It doesn't really get much more point blank there that we have authority to manage all the animals. Now, it doesn't say to wipe them all out and use them, you know, uh, aimlessly, fruitlessly, without consideration. We are to rule over them. And to rule, to be a good ruler, to be a good leader, means to manage appropriately. And so therefore, it is our job to make sure we are managing appropriately for every living creature out there. Now, when I talk about wildlife objectives, I do wanna make sure you are being specific on what type of animals you are trying to target. Because if we just took this scripture here and said everything, we want to manage for everything, you're not really gonna hit the mark because every living creature has different habitat niches. And since we are no longer necessarily um, subduing and ruling the entire earth, our particular cells, we have a very small segment that we are trying to manage for our own families, for, for God and his glory as well. We have to make sure we're being specific on what we are trying to help thrive. You help one species thrive, you are going to see a domino effect for many others. But if you try to hit everything because of the fact that they don't all have the same needs at the same time, you're really not going to help the mark on helping anything thrive at any single point in time. So be specific. But understand, we do have the authority to manage and responsibility to manage the animals out there. Proverbs 12.10 also says, the righteous care for the needs of their animals. So again, to kind of make it point blank, the righteous care for the needs of their animals. Now you could look at animals as your livestock, as your pets, but in this case, I like to look at it as the wildlife that resonate and live on our own land base. The wildlife and the animals that are present on our lands, it is our responsibility to make sure we're doing our best job to care for that needs. There you go. Point two for wildlife. Now recreation. I was like, man, does I can see why God cares about the animals. I can see why God cares and wants us to use natural resources that come from the ground that he's created. So does God really care if we enjoy it? Now, hunting, I, I look at it as separate because I put that in the wildlife category because if you have a strong hunting objective, you're really caring for the habitat and you're trying to manipulate and create specific habitat for your specific hunting goals. So I don't necessarily put that in the recreational tab. So recreation, what does that include? Kayaking, fishing, camping, trail walking, bird watching, anything that's really not hunting that allows you to enjoy what's out there. Now, what does scripture say about that? We go into Ecclesiastes 5.19. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. 
It says so right there. And again, this is Solomon writing these things. One of the wisest kings, wisest men that has ever walked this earth that people kind of accept and respect. He's written Proverbs. He's written Ecclesiastes. Now Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is kind of, you know, trying to figure out the meaning of life. I found so much inspiration in just this section. God gives someone wealth and possessions. Having wealth and possessions is not an evil thing. Our land is a possession and our land generates generational wealth if managed and stewarded appropriately. So he gives us this possession, this responsibility, but he also gives us the ability to enjoy them and to accept our lot and be happy in our toil because we have to work it. And you can look at working the land as, you know, a cumbersome, um, you know, like a oh, humbug, I gotta work this land again. Or you can look at working the land as a joyful opportunity. And what are some other aspects that we can find joy in the work that we've created for that land? So I really, really enjoyed that one. And then we're jumping over to aesthetics. Um, and well actually i'm going to come to aesthetics last because that one was most eye-opening for me so i'm going to jump over to soil and water which may be kind of a a no-brainer you may be thinking of course god cares if we care for the soil and water we have to have soil and water to live so naturally this is going to be a very important objective and it is Genesis 2, 7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We are essentially made from dirt. We are made from the dust of the earth. And because of that, we are connected to the ground and we are connected to the soils. And in that case, we should make sure we respect and steward the soil appropriately because we came from it as those foundations. We want to make sure we're doing the best thing possible. We don't have a ton of soil out there. Do what you can to ensure its productivity. Hebrews 6, 7 says, Land that drinks of the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. I love this part here. One is talking about the rain, good rain, having water. It produces a crop. And in our case, timber is the crop. To those to whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. Farming or timber producing a crop, using water, having good water source, good land base is a blessing of God. And then finally, Isaiah 28, 24 through 26, when a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep up breaking? Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? When he leaves the leveled surface, does he not sow caraway and scudder cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot and split in its field? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Here Isaiah is talking about kind of the, the farmer analogy. You go, you, you, you plow. But as he points out, do we just continuously plow without doing anything? No, there are, oops, there are points in times when we stop and we plant. And then of course there are times when we harvest. But I love this part here because it talks about actually intentionally working the ground, which I think is often a, an overlooked or um, underappreciated aspect of land management is the actual working of the ground. We think we shouldn't necessarily do anything to prep the ground. And in this case here, Isaiah literally says when a farmer plows for planting. I don't know, what do y'all think? And then I'm gonna jump back over to aesthetics because I honestly thought this was gonna be one of the hardest objectives to justify within scripture. I was like, well, we're not supposed to care about our appearances. It's about our heart and our motives, right? But that's not completely true. God does care about aesthetics as well. 
Genesis 1:12, and God saw that it was good. And you can be like, oh, well, he was just talking about, you know, it's good for, you know, those types of things. The 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 general um, unvisual characteristics of good. Again, in 118, and God saw it was good. 125, these are all the verses I just went through. And God saw that it was good. And 131, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. He continues to use that word good. And I like to think this is not only because of its characteristics, but also visually, he thought it was good. If you see a painting that you just painted and it's really, really ugly, you're not going to say that's a good painting. You're going to say, oh, that, let's start over. And you'll crumple it up and you'll throw it away. But if you do something you are proud of, you visually are also going to be proud of it too. And it is good. But there's another point that literally talks about aesthetics. All right, Genesis 2, 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it goes forth from there and we know what happened afterwards. But I thought it was so interesting that God made these trees pleasing to the eye because he cares about aesthetics. He cares about what things look like. He understands that when something looks good, we're more likely to partake uh, to partake of it. We're more likely to eat uh, a pretty dish versus something that kind of looks like it's been all mashed together. You're not as likely to want to partake and accept that compared to something that looks very visually appealing. Now you can say, well, that seems kind of selfish. It is what it is. All I know is that God made trees that were pretty and pleasing to the eye and good for food. They weren't just pretty to touch and not, you know, necessarily do anything with. They had another purpose, which is great, but they were pleasing to the eye. And so I feel like aesthetics has been greatly underappreciated. And now through scripture, I've grown a much greater appreciation for this objective. One, because it was always there, just we never really wanted to admit that we care what it looks like on our land. Now this can come in different ways. Maybe you want your trees planted in a particular way that when you drive down the highway, you can't see through your property. I've worked with plenty of landowners that say, I want my trees planted perpendicular. That way that just gives a little bit more buffer, a little bit more um, security to maybe their home base in the back. I've seen folks say, I want to make sure I actually physically leave a buffer up near the roadways with understory that I'm not going to touch. Again, just to kind of create an aesthetic buffer from the roadway, you can't see directly into the property, but from that point forward, they want to make sure their roadways are a little extra wide. They have wildflowers planted on the sides of the roads. That way when you're driving, it is very visually appealing as well as of course helping different wildlife aspects but is visually appealing they have winding roads so that when we're driving you just don't see a straight line all the way through the winding roads although take a little bit more work make you slow down also more visually appealing while you're driving through the property there are different mechanisms and ways that you can manage and make different decisions including harvesting decisions that takes aesthetics into consideration and now from what I read from Genesis, multiple times in Genesis, I don't need to feel ashamed for having an aesthetic objective. So that's what I wanted to talk to y'all about. It started off with, are you still on your goals? Because when it comes to your goals, your goals need to be lined up with your objectives. So my question now for you, now that we're at the end of this episode, 
is do you have your objectives prioritized or are you trying to hit everything evenly? If you don't have your objectives prioritized, let this be a challenge for you today to kind of write them down and start deciding which ones am I going to prioritize for 2024 and the future. And if you don't know how to do that, the easiest way I can give you action steps is simply say, what am I willing to give up to get something else? Am I willing to give up one deer hunting season to maximize profit? Am I willing to give up um, extra profit to ensure top of the line reforestation for the next generation? Am I willing to give up maximizing profit because of deer hunting or for different songbirds and bird watching activities? The simple question of what am I willing to give up? Because there's opportunity costs with everything. And this question will really help you prioritize and decide what is most important to you. And if you still can't decide, trick I've always done is just flip a penny and, you know, label heads one way, tails the other way, and you'll either be happy with the results or you'll be a little disappointed. And that will show your true heart and your true feelings of what you wanted to occur on your land. So that is your challenge for this week go through, make sure you have objectives, make sure they're prioritized. And if you've been procrastinating on that first challenge I gave you at the beginning of the year to set goals, go ahead and do that and just make sure they're aligned with your objectives this year. Until next week.